Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Post-September 11, and with the advent of the so-called new atheists, there's been a great deal of talk about fundamentalism. So it may come as a surprise that that label is being attached to one of Australia's prominent religious brands. Keith Mascord used to be in the very engine room of the Sydney Anglican Diocese, a lecturer at the renowned Moore Theological College. But through quite a journey, as in the title of his new book, he has left fundamentalism in a quest for God. He says his is a restless faith, quoting St. Augustine, that the soul is restless till it finds rest in God. The Anglican Bishop of Canberra and Goulburn, Stuart Robinson, says while he doesn't agree with everything Keith Mascord says, he says this is a personal cry for a more gracious church, a community of faith that seeks to open up proper dialogue rather than shutting down an honest search for truth. Keith Mascord joins us now on Open House. Keith, welcome. Thank you, Lee. Great to be here. Great to see you. Keith, let's begin with why you wrote this book and the approach that you've taken in writing it. The initial thought of writing another book came over a game of table tennis with my second eldest son, John. A lot had happened. A lot of water had got under the bridge, and, and my own faith journey has taken quite a number of you know interesting turns, I think you'd say. And I thought, well, not only are there some ideas about believing, about the Christian faith, about what it means to be a Christian in a 21st century world that I'd begun to think about quite seriously, and also my own life story, I thought, well, at least it would, it would be interesting to my family, but maybe to others as well. It's probably worth defining what you mean by fundamentalism. Um, it began as a movement within the US in the early 1900s as a response to increasingly critical and threatening biblical studies, some of them coming out of Europe, questioning the historicity of pretty much almost everything within the biblical narrative. And so fundamentalism was a movement of reaction and defense and asking the question, what is fundamental to the Christian faith? Which is not a bad thing. Which is not a bad thing, yeah. Fundamentalism began as a fairly robust intellectual response to scholarship that was perceived as threatening, but it increasingly became sectarian and people tried to outdo each other in being more and more biblical and more and more fundamentalist and at, at some point be began to become quite anti-intellectual. So people often now associate fundamentalism with with a movement which is, is suspicious of science, suspicious of anything that might contradict the plain teaching of the Bible. This fundamentalist upbringing hmm. in your childhood you describe as the most wonderful childhood. Oh, it was. It was. Uh, I guess the other thing that occasioned the writing of the book was that my mother was coming towards the end of her life and died in early 2010, and my dad died in 2005. The book is, is dedicated to them and to their memory. What did they give you in terms of a heritage of faith? Love a consistency of life. How they were at church was how they were at home. They loved Jesus. They loved God. And they lived lives which were consistent. They weren't perfect. I guess the other thing is my dad was a questioner. So even though he was remained always more conservative than I am now, he would question his heritage and he'd say, Keith, you don't just believe it because it's in a book. You have to think it out yourself. And so he taught me to think. And you became 
in turn quite questioning, which began to challenge some of that fundamentalist background. Uh, when I was thinking about what I would do career-wise, I, I always, from very early days, wanted to be a pastor, a preacher, a minister. That was the ultimate for me. But I thought to myself, uh, I've been so you know, happily and winningly nurtured into Christian faith, I really ought to look at the reasons why people aren't Christian. So I chose to do philosophy at university and stood back a little and kind of put my Christian faith up like a specimen to be investigated. For example, I read the New Atheists. I'm more likely to read the New Atheists themselves than I am to read their critiques because I want to take head on the objections to Christian faith. None of that threatened your faith, though, the questioning? No, well, no, that's the thing. I mean, really, uh, that's the extraordinary thing. I say at the end of probably the chapter where my faith was most under threat that it was kind of amazing that I didn't ditch it. Intellectually, I countenanced the idea of becoming an atheist and ditching my faith altogether. But it was never a really live option. You know, even at the at the lowest point of doubt, I suppose, I guess I still had that sense of God. The journey itself has been a journey with God, you know, and a, and a journey towards God. But it's an engagement with God, basically a lifelong tussle with God. So then you find yourself as a lecturer after being a student yeah. at Moore Theological College, yeah. which, as I said, is the engine room of the, as it's portrayed and referred to frequently, the conservative Sydney Anglican Diocese. Mm. A great joy for you. Oh, it was, yeah. I mean, always. I, I taught there for 10 years full-time and, and a further five years part-time and loved every minute. So what began the process that turned out to be very challenging for you and very disturbing to go through? I needed to get away from the ivory tower and back to the grassroots and so took up a job in the Anglican parish of South Sydney and was there for five years and I think it was then that I began to see that the politics of the Diocese of Sydney which I'd heard about and seen from the sidelines really but never had never attended Synod had no idea how political the organization is and came to realize that there was a controlling spirit and then we became victims of this politics at South Sydney. The church was not able to find the rector of their choice and had a rector imposed on them. And I, you know, was just furious. I thought, this is, this is behaviour which is unchristian. And I felt I needed to speak. Why the politics? There'd be a lot of people surprised at that. The conservative evangelical wing of the diocese has been political for decades and decades, right back to the 1930s. Right? There's a long history of um, politicking to be able to keep the diocese pure. And that's where the fundamentalism comes in. Fundamentalism is a defensive movement. So if you feel defensive, if you feel like you have all of these enemies, the liberals, the feminists, the gay, the Anglo-Catholic, the whatever, whatever, if you feel like your world is populated by enemies, you feel you must defend the truth. And so that's where the politics comes in. In the end, what happens is the very gospel gets undermined by the politics, and that's what happened. Is it as much how the politics are played as that politics are played? It's how the politics are played, I think. Politics is influence. The issue is that in the use of politics and in the way you, you do your politics, are you also untrue to your core principles of love, respect, forgiveness? Do you love you love and some people do and some people don't on open house we're with keith mascord the author of the new book a restless faith leaving fundamentalism in a quest for god keith you use the word cult to describe some of these dynamics which are very inflammatory and provocative word and i expect will make some angry what do you mean by that 
And why use that word? I do use the word cult in the book. I encountered a movement within Sydney evangelicalism, which when I encountered it up close, I came to the conclusion I couldn't get out of my head that this was a cult, or at least cult-like. And in the book, I reflect on it. I mean, that's a damning thing to say about anyone. A cult is a, is a movement which is very inward-looking, very controlling, and almost always centred around a powerful figure. It had the feel of a cult. It had the, the vibe of a cult. What happens in the book is I reflect and I basically come to the conclusion, no, it's not a cult, but it has some characteristics. And see, the thing is about cults, as they develop, they often start healthy and become unhealthy. And often what makes them unhealthy is that they become so inward-looking and so so defensive and so controlling that outside ideas or even questioning of ideas within the movement are ruled out. And I think what I saw and experienced seemed to have some of those characteristics. The reason for raising it in the book is those characteristics of control and lack of self-critique I began to see within the diocese in general. And that's why I felt like I needed to say something. There'd be people who would say, well, at stake here is the truth. Mm. So we have to be rigorous and vigorous oh, in our defence of that truth. Sure. And, th and that sort of argument is used for using torture in the United States. Our freedoms are so precious to us and so important to us that anything we do counts. And those with a little more sense realise that you undermine your freedoms as a people if you contradict and are untrue to your principles. And, and I think that's the issue. So on the back of these concerns, on the back of your frustrating experience and your angry response to what happened in South Sydney, you then take, some would say a courageous thing, others would say a risky thing of writing an open letter about this and then followed up with a second one. Couldn't this have been settled privately? Why do you play politics? I yes, suppose? that's right. As, uh, that's true. Politics is about influence. And in writing a letter... Uh, I was choosing to be political, choosing to try to exercise some influence. It was that for sure. But it was also kind of a genuine effort on my part to see whether the concerns that I had and that we were feeling at South Sydney were more widespread. And I had, you know, in dozens and dozens and dozens, literally, of discussions with people, found that people had similar concerns. And I thought, well, maybe it's just the people I'm speaking to. Maybe this is not so widespread. So... I put out the open letter, one, because I knew if it was simply sent as a letter to standing committee, it would be given short shrift, it would be perhaps respectfully uh, tabled and perhaps read and then filed away and forgotten. And I thought to myself, no, this is something important enough to be able to make public. And it's interesting, in discussion with Bishop Rob Forsyth, and this is quoted in the book, just after the open letter had come out, Rob said to me, the Anglican Church is a public institution and it's actually very healthy to air criticism openly, but also it's important for Sydney and Australia to be able to see uh, what's happening, so to critique it like this. And then when the letter went out, 326 responses, all but literally a handful kind of agreed. Were you surprised at that? I was. I was. I was, I was overwhelmed uh, with the support not just for the letter, but really, who cares about the support for the letter? What was important was that people were of a mind that we needed to do our Christian faith better. A more gracious church, as Stuart Robinson says. Yeah, a more gracious church. The open letter called for a more loving, humble and open diocese. And I think maybe it is becoming that. The response of the diocese? 
Initially, I think it was a shock uh, because at that stage, the movement, which dubs itself hard evangelicalism, was kind of, you know, gung-ho and, and believing that not only did they have complete power and control now, that the church would go from strength to strength, the numbers would, would grow, the college would become massive, more college would become massive. Well, none of that's happened. So I'm not sure of the response at the time. You met with Peter Jensen, the archbishop. I did, and I've met with him recently too, you know, just months ago at his initiative. How did he feel when you met him? Well, I would say that it was a difficult meeting. Peter rightly would have felt that he was under personal attack and that I'd gone public with what was a criticism of him and of the administration of the diocese and the way it was run. It was certainly respectful and cordial, and we've met more recently at Peter's initiative. I think we're doing fine. <laughs> That's good to hear. It's very good to hear. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I say in the book and one of the things I criticise the diocese for is not engaging respectfully and lovingly with people you differ. And that's what I want to do, Lee. It's not always easy, but that's what I endeavour to do. Yes. I'm bound to ask this question. Did you ever ask yourself whether you were the problem as well as some of these dynamics? My wife does think that I have a very robust self-image. <laughs> so, so, Lots of wives do. <laughs> maybe so. Uh, I guess, I mean, I am always a part of the problem in a way. I think, um, you know, when I get to the end of the book, I say that the restlessness that still remains is the restlessness of wanting to be a better person, to be better, not just to think better, but to be better. With respect to what happened at South Sydney, in a way I was a spectator, and that was part of the thing that made it slightly easier for me was that I'd made a decision to go to work as National Chaplain at Mission Australia. I'd made that decision. I was moving on and into a new and really quite exciting new career step. But what happened was South Sydney was disrespected, uh, and, and I was furious, and rightly, I think, not only the tr treatment of South Sydney but also of its Indigenous pastor. When you talk about your restless faith, and as St Augustine puts it, it's to find its rest in God. Yeah. Have you found that? I've never been more restful. Part of that is, although intellectual issues remain and will continue to, I'll continue to tease away at them, I'm kind of less interested in the, the intellectual uh, side of things and much more interested in the practice of Christian life. I'm more interested in the way of Christ, the way of Jesus, and um, the way of forgiveness, the way of grace, the, the way of truthfulness, uh, the way of love. And it's that way, it's, it's following Jesus along that way not only is it the very best and the most likely way to um, have one encounter God, it's the way which ultimately leads to God. I wonder whether this is all about finding God independent of religion or a religious institution or denomination, which is a journey I think every Christian needs to take. Yeah, maybe. I, I, it's interesting. My own journey remains within the context of Christian fellowship and very involved, too involved, my wife says, involved member of uh, Holy Trinity Dulwich Hill, working alongside Dave Smith, fighting the fighting father. The fighting father, yeah, who we had on a couple yeah, of months ago. Did you? Yeah, months. wow. Yeah, yeah. Great man. Yeah, he is, he is. So my journey is within the context of, of a Christian faith community. Yes, that's necessary. That's true. Yes, the community is yeah. necessary, yeah. but it can't be the ultimate. No, it can't be. And I think that's one of the things that's kind of, I've become so much more aware of and I'm so much less kind of worried, I guess, about everyone out there. I work as a parole officer and one of the maybe surprising 
things in my work as a parole officer is I'm often talking about God and Jesus and faith and life and the meaning of life because regardless of whether the clients I work with, some do attend church, some find uh, the work of Kairos and, and Hillsong and Salvation Army you know, hugely influential in their life. And many of them are not churchgoers. But I tell you what, in their own way, they're either walking towards God or walking away. And you're still walking with I'm him. I'm still walking with God. A bit deeper, and it's just as strong. Keith Mascord, it's been a very thought-provoking conversation. I'm so glad we've had it on Open House and are able to have it. We should let people know about the website for the book. It's www.arestlessfaith.com.au. And uh, one of the things we're just about to put up on that website, apart from reviews, is an opportunity for people to write their own review, their own comments. And I won't simply be putting the glowing ones up, Lee. Okay. <laughs> I trust you with that. It'll be quite a conversation, I'm sure. Keith, thanks so much for coming in. You're welcome. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.